Praise the Lord. Is everybody good this morning? Yes. Hallelujah. How good it is for us to come together to worship God. Uh, we're now going to flow on into a time in the Word and trusting God to speak to us once again. I just want to make sure that I've made all the... Uh, announcements towards everything that's going on. By the way, Bible College is going good and strong. Uh, uh, they had a wonderful workshop yesterday, and uh, we are pumping on all cylinders, I'm telling you. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Uh, this morning, I would like to continue on where we were a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, speaking about uh, the name of Jesus Christ, that it is the name above all names. And we do have an outline available for everybody. If you haven't got an outline, just wave your hand around, um, and that will be wonderful. It was only going to be an initial one-off message, but, you know, I've said this in the past, and then there's so much more to be said around that. And I really do believe that uh, what we are ministering on at the moment is all towards declaring God's majesty. Uh, and the word that Peter brought last week, just an excellent word. It's all towards that prophetic insight that God gave us to declare God's majesty. That this morning, our time of praise and worship, it's declaring God's majesty. But to be able to do that, we need to understand God's majesty. And uh, so I do believe that as we're ministering along these lines, uh, that we are gaining greater revelation uh, in this area of who Jesus Christ really is. Let me say this before we start to recap on where we've been two weeks ago, that uh, most people only deal with the natural realm, only deal with what they're able to feel, see, taste, and touch, uh, and so forth, yet there's a spirit realm, um, and the natural realm and the spirit realm coexist. In fact, the natural realm has come out of the spirit realm, and so people in the natural only deal with the natural, but we've got a whole spirit realm where spirits move, where angels and demons operate, uh, and we need to understand that realm, um, and in fact, a uh, number of years ago, there was a series of... Uh, of uh, novels that have been written around all of that, and some of it was excellent and some of it was a bit quirky perhaps. But I was talking to somebody uh, that had been a Christian for many, many years, um, and they said that they read books out of that novel in regards to, you know, what goes on in the realm of the spirit, and they reckon they had such, such great insights uh, in regards to a world that they never really understood. Um, and I'm thinking, gosh, uh, how tragic it would be that Christians would have to read novels to find out about the spirit realm because the Word tells us enough about the spirit realm and speaks to us about God, uh, who is a spirit, speaks to us about angels who are ministering spirits, uh, speaks to us about Satan and demon spirits who are fallen spirits uh, and so forth, that we understand this whole realm. Um, and uh, even that whole area that we are specifically discussing about the name of Jesus Christ is that uh, one of the reasons that people who don't worship Jesus is that they don't worship him. They haven't got a revelation of who he is. If they knew who he is, they would immediately fall down and worship him. You know, we see in the Old Testament when uh, the angel of the Lord, capital A, which is actually Jesus Christ before he was, became a human being, when he appeared to men and women without fail, uh, without exception, they all fell down and worshipped him. They saw him and they fell down at the same time. And so if we were to see Jesus, uh, we wouldn't just, oh, you know, like we'd fall down because we would be overcome with the awe and the splendor 
of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. And to be ministering along these lines, I'm not really here to tell you anything new today if you've been a Christian for, for, for many years, but what we are here to do is to refresh our understanding where Jesus Christ is concerned. So with that... Um, I'd like to, uh, again, just briefly recap to say that uh, the Bible clearly differentiates between the person of Jesus Christ and the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't separate the two, but it differentiates between the two. Um, and uh, we as believers are not just called to believe in the person of Jesus Christ, but we're also called to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, it says that this is his commandment, um, God's commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us uh, his commandment. Uh, and so we say that the name of Jesus Christ carries the privilege, carries the ability, and carries the authority of the person of Jesus Christ. And we've said that uh, the person of Jesus Christ is in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, and we'll be speaking about that some more. But when we use the name of Jesus Christ, we get his privilege, we get his authority, we get his ability on the job in the here and in the now. Uh, we said that Jesus Christ received a more excellent name on three accounts. Number one, he received it by inheritance. Number two, he received it by bestowal, that the Father bestowed upon him that name. And we said that number three, that he received that name by conquest, that he conquered the devil and is the, uh, is the, is the uh, triumphant uh, uh, sovereign. He came away uh, with a greater name uh, that is greater than anybody else's name. We said that in rank, in authority, in importance, in preeminence, there's none greater in the whole wide universe than Jesus Christ. All right, his name is the greatest name there is. And uh, we finish by saying that we have been, as believers, we have been authorized and we have actually been commanded to use the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, in, in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus says that these signs shall follow them that believe. He says, in my name they will cast out demons. Uh, they will speak with new tongues, they take up serpents, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And uh, just as a final statement, we said that even though Jesus Christ is not physically present when we use his name, whether that is to access the Father or whether that is to command situations or cast out demons, uh, even though he's not physically present, but when we use his name, it is as if he were. Uh, it is as if he did the speaking in that moment. And we need to understand that. Uh, and uh, this morning I would like to flow on from there and have another fresh look in regards to who Jesus Christ really is and what it means to have his name uh, at our disposal, to have been privileged to use his name. And in fact, uh, to start with a question this morning uh, that we find in Psalm 24, and we're going to get there very shortly, but uh, Psalm 24 asks the question and says, who is this King of glory? Who is he? And we're going to perhaps help to answer that question, uh, who this King of glory is. So I'm going to start here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15. 
Paul the Apostle speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Therefore I, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Underline that phrase, that give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, in, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. All right. He says that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And here is what we're trying to get to in verse 20. It says, which he worked, which the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And so what the Bible describes to us here is that when God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, um, he invited him to sit next to him in heaven uh, on a throne all of his own. And that's where Jesus is right now. Uh, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father uh, in heaven. When it speaks there of heavenly places, uh, it means he's not like all over the place. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. All right? Um, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, it affirms that whole thing all over. And here is Peter the apostle preaching to the Jews, the very people that crucified Jesus or that shouted, crucify, crucify him uh, on the day of Pentecost. And he said to them, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God. All right, this Jesus, whom you guys crucified, he says, God has raised him up and, and exalted him to the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of any sovereign uh, in those days was the most important place that one could be at. Anybody that was invited to the right hand of the sovereign, and the sovereign being God the Father, being seated at the right hand is like the ultimate, really. And that's where the Father uh, sat Jesus Christ, invited him uh, to be there. In all reality, that's where Jesus was uh, before he left heaven. Uh, Jesus called the Word of God. That's where he was, and he had all authority. But the Bible says he humbled himself, and he emptied himself of all of that and became a human being and came in this humble position of a human baby uh, born in a stable, just quite incredible, really, and kind of the journey of stepping, of stepping out of heaven to become a human being, to die on the cross, to shed his own blood so that our sins could be forgiven, and to go right into hell to pay the price uh, that we would have had to pay throughout eternity and then to be raised from the dead. And I want to kind of describe that journey uh, to us here this morning by looking at the Word and to give us an understanding of the spirit realm and what really took place. And I believe that these things need to be taught uh, and that we don't have to read novels to kind of figure out that there is a spirit realm and what goes on in this world, but we read the Word. In fact, in all reality, we haven't got much text in our outline, but we got a few scriptures there. Let the scriptures do the speaking and to give us insight and revelation. And so it speaks there about this elevated position that Jesus Christ has come to. He says, therefore, um, 
being exalted to the right hand of the Father. Being exalted means being lifted up, being elevated into that position. So when we use the name of Jesus Christ in prayer, when we use that name in commanding situation, making declarations over our nation and and so forth, or for that matter, when we use that name, uh, when we go to the Father and we say, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, We need to understand what that name means. When we got a greater understanding of what's actually in that name, it will revolutionize our prayer life. It will give us greater confidence when we speak. It will give us greater results because we're not just parroting the name. (laughs) We're using that name with an understanding, with a level of faith. And, you know, faith comes from an understanding of the word. That's where faith comes from. Faith comes from a revelation. And, you know, we've said before that you could teach... you know, you could teach a parrot, you know, like, uh, you know, the, 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 they say the favorite saying for a, for, a, for a parrot might be, you know, Polly wants a cracker or something. You could teach Polly, you know, you could teach Polly about the name of Jesus and, and Polly would say name of Jesus, but it has no understanding behind it. And sometimes Christians are like that. Uh, they use the name because somebody else has used the name uh, and somebody else got results, but they're not getting results. And what's lacking is the lack of understanding. That's what's lacking. In fact, uh, we might have time. We would swing over into the book of Acts where there were seven sons of Sceva, uh, seven sons uh, of this uh, uh, Jewish uh, leader there, and they had specialized in, in uh, exorcism. Um, and they'd heard that there was a man traveling around uh, who, whose name was Paul of Tarsus. And Paul also cast out devils. He wasn't into exorcism per se. He was a preacher, uh, Paul the Apostle. But when he cast out devils, he used the name of Jesus. And they thought, we're going to do the same thing. And they went to this house of this demon-possessed person. And they say to him that spoke to the demon. And he says, we adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They said, come out. And the demon spoke through the man, and he says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but he says, who are you? (laughs) Because they were just parroting the name. And the Bible says that the demon in this man uh, beat them all up and chased them out the house and everything. And, you know, Paul had great results, but they had terrible results, and the difference was a revelation. And so we are refreshing our revelation. We are gaining a fresh understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what's all tied up in that name. So with that, uh, we swing on into uh, carry on in Ephesians 1.21. speaks there about that elevated, that exalted position of Jesus Christ. It says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. That not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he, meaning the Father, has put all things under Jesus' feet. All things. And gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that speaks to us about this elevated Uh, this exalted position that Jesus Christ has been invited to, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And that place where he sits is far above, not just above, but far above. You know what? Sometimes uh, in our mind, when we want to tackle a problem, we think of 
little problems and big problems. But, you know, for God, all problems are little problems. For the name of Jesus, there's not like, you know, weak demons and strong demons. They're all, they're all far below where Jesus Christ sits and where he operates from. And when we use his name, uh, we do so with the understanding that that name is far above, far above any demon spirit that we might be dealing with. Far above. Not just barely strong enough, but far, far more strong because the devil is already defeated. So it speaks there about four or five areas there. It speaks there about... All principality, uh, and that refers to all ruling spirits. You know, there is a hierarchy uh, in, the, uh, in the demon world. Uh, there's ruling spirits, and then there's just low-level demons. Uh, uh, and depending on your importance in the purposes of God, uh, the devil assigns uh, different spirits to you, uh, or against you, and against your family, and then against the purpose that you are supposed to fulfill. Uh, but here it speaks about ruling spirits. And in fact, you know, reading after the Bible commentators here, some of them a little bit in disagreement over whether that speaks of all principality, good or bad, and some of the some of them are saying, no, it really leans more the way of all the enemy spirits, all the demon spirits, high-level principalities, ruling spirits. The Bible says Jesus is seated far above them. Amen. All right. It speaks there of all power. Uh, and that speaks of various levels of demon activities uh, or demon authorities. Uh, the, the problem is, of course, that the devil was a rebel to begin with, and he's got rebellion in his ranks. So there's disarray in the, the demon spirits uh, uh, because they're all, I mean, that's their nature. They've got the, the nature of, of, of Satan in them. Uh, and and uh, we speak about a hierarchy. And, you know, as you might have, say, in an army, but the devil has got a disarrayed army uh, because they're all rebels. And, 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 uh, but nevertheless, there are levels of authority uh, in amongst them. And the Bible says that Jesus is seated above all of these levels. High level, low level, uh, they're all far beneath his feet in terms of position and authority and power. It speaks of all might. Um, that word might here speaks of various abilities and various capabilities. And here's the, here's the deal, friends, that Satan has been stripped of his authority, but he still has abilities. Um, and you and I in our prayers, in commanding Satan, uh, we are coming against his abilities uh, to hinder him and to bind him and to command him to, 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 to stop his maneuvers against people, against communities, against nations, uh, against projects, uh, uh, and so forth. So Jesus is seated far above all of that. Then number four, it speaks of all dominion. Uh, that word dominion here speaks of uh, kind of lordships. Uh, uh, dominion is, is, is basically territories and peoples that were ruled by princes. And in amongst the demon uh, army, there are princes uh, that are kind of, again, uh, over certain territories and so forth. And, well, Jesus is seated far above all that, above all lordships, including their inhabitants uh, and including their territories. And then finally, in point number five, above every name that is named. And you know, kind of the way that the Bible is very thorough in describing certain things, it doesn't say that Jesus is, is above all and everything. It begins to specify and uh, about authorities and might and dominion. And then it says, 
above every name that is named. Because really, pretty much everything or everybody has a name. Jesus is seated above them. You know, it's been said that uh, every disease, every sickness, they've given it a name. The name of Jesus is above them. You see, this is the understanding that every name that is named. You know, spirits of infirmity, uh, they are spirits and their specialty is to make people sick. Uh, and the sickness is then, in a general sense, we call it infirmity or illness or disease or some ailment. Uh, but then, you know, the, uh, medical science has given all of these various diseases names. Uh, but you see, the name of Jesus is above all of that. So this is the deal. When we pray for somebody, we anoint somebody with oil or we lay hands on somebody in the name of Jesus. That's the understanding that we pitch the name of Jesus that is above every name against that low-level disease, against that low-level spirit of infirmity and command it to get out. Um, And praise God for that. And interesting, too, that this whole proclamation of Christ's elevated position that Paul introduced here uh, in in, in Ephesians chapter 1, he introduced it saying that he was praying for them that they will get a revelation of all of this. Why, why are we preaching about all of this? Because we need a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And we need to have another look. Um, I remember Brother uh, Kenneth Hagen used to say that uh, he had a book uh, by, written by E.W. Kenyon called The Wonderful Name of Jesus. Um, and of course, in the end, he wrote a book himself, quoting much of the work of E.W. Kenyon's, uh, and he, he wrote uh, a book himself, but he says in the early days, he says he read that book at least once a year, read the whole book and then read it again, and then next year read it again. He says he wore, he wore the backs off of those books, one after the other, because it like he obviously realized that, uh, that much of what he was called to do and much of his success in ministry depended on his understanding of the name of Jesus Christ. Awesome. All right, so, so it's like, wow, you know, Brother Hagen reading a book all over again and then next year reading it again and then reading it again. And Why would he read it again? Because Bible says that faith comes by hearing. It doesn't say faith comes by having heard. We need to have a constant refresh of our understanding of the things of God, uh, in particular of the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. It's sure warm in here this morning. Is everybody warm this morning? <laughs> All right. So, Again, uh, he prayed for them to receive a revelation. And that passage of scripture that we underlined before, he says that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of the person and in the knowledge of the name of Jesus Christ. If we know we have the knowledge of the person, then we have the knowledge of the name, because the two are not separate. They're only, uh, the Bible only differentiates between the two. Um, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, and when he arrived in heaven, uh, there's multiple things that went on. Um, and we haven't got time to get into every aspect of it because, uh, because there's so much to it. And then there's different focuses uh, that we need to give to at any given time. And we can't give all focuses to all things all at the same time. But one thing that Jesus Christ did was that he carried his own blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And presented his own blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. 
And, uh, and again, we haven't got time to get into all the specifics, and we teach a lot of that in Bible college to great depth. But the Bible says that that um, tabernacle of Moses that was built in the wilderness, which was that, that shrine where they came to worship God, where the presence of God dwelt, that was later on moved into the temple. And the way that the temple was laid out, there was a space or a place called the Holy of Holies, uh, which contained the, 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 the chest that was overlaid, wooden chest overlaid with gold called the Ark of the Covenant. It had uh, uh, Aaron's rod that budded. It had uh, a pot of manna and it had the Ten Commandments inside. It had a lid on it and that lid was kind of, a, they called that lid the mercy seat. Uh, even though it's the chest and the lid, the two were separately named. And on top of that lid um, were two angels facing each other. Um, and uh, they were made of pure gold. And uh, when the high priest went into this place once a year to bring the, the blood of that, uh, of that uh, lamb, of that sacrificial lamb, he would sprinkle it on that mercy seat. The Bible says that the earthly tabernacle that these guys went to and worked with, that was a pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. There's literally a holy of holies in heaven with a mercy seat there. And, uh, of course, when God instructed Moses to make that earthly thing, Moses received the instructions from heaven in regards to the measurements, the materials that were used, and the layout of what, what was used. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't go to the temple, the physical temple that was there. He went to the heavenly temple, and he brought his own blood. And he sprinkled that, and he made atonement for our sins right there. But one other thing that happened, when Jesus Christ arrived in heaven, um, first rising from the dead, of course we know that uh, he made a show of the devil openly, dragged, defeated Satan around through, if you like, through the streets in the realm of the spirit, for the whole spirit realm, both demon spirits as well as angelic spirits and all heavenly beings to see that Satan was completely defeated. Uh, and in regards to what happened first, you know, sometimes uh, I get glimpses of and aspects of it, but I don't always understand the full sequence. And you know, the Bible was not always written in chronological order. Uh, sometimes we see something, and then when we have another look at the same thing, we see something else. And, and, and so what I'm describing to you is not necessarily in perfect chronological order. But here's what we see when Jesus arrived in heaven. When he rose from the dead, uh, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then he arrived in heaven uh, to come back shortly after that to appear to his disciples over a period of 40 days. When he first arrived in heaven, this is what took place. Um, here in Psalm 24, verse 7, there was a charge that was given uh, to say, Lift up your heads, O your gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. There was great ceremony. There was great pomp if I can use that expression, and rightly so. Because here is the man, the God-man, God in human form, man, capital M, arriving in heaven to be given this name that we are describing here, to be given the kingdom and to be greatly honored 
above everybody else. And they made this charge here, lift up your heads, all you gates. So, and then he says, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. In fact, this is a psalm of uh, David. And you know, it never ceases to amaze me how the psalmists can speak and how they kind of prophesied. One minute they're speaking about themselves, and in the very next phrase, they're speaking about events that are still a thousand, two thousand years ahead. And they didn't always know what they were saying. Sometimes in, in prophecy, we don't always understand the specifics. God just gets us to speak. And here is King David, and he's speaking about a time when, uh, of course, uh, you know, when, the king, uh, when Jesus arrived in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, they said that it could have applied then. But it most certainly applied when Jesus arrived in heaven because they say, you everlasting doors. You know, the Jerusalem gates uh, were, were temporary doors, but the heavenly gates are everlasting doors. You, you everlasting doors, be lifted up. And, uh, you know, gates in those days, uh, in the natural, you know, when you would go into a fortification, there weren't gates that opened like our doors would. There were gates that were lifted up. They were drawn up, and then they were lowered down again. And the charge was given. They said, come on, let's get those doors opened up, because the king of glory needs to come in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. So it says, uh, verse 8, who is this king of glory? And then, the explanation is given. Like the angel was saying, oh, wow, the gates are being opened up. Who is this king of glory? And then one of them said, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Amen. And then they repeated, lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory, Selah. And Selah means stop, think, and ponder, and meditate. So that we're not skimming over something. Oh, yeah, king of glory. All right. No, no. Who is this king of glory? Wow. He is the Lord mighty in battle. He's strong. Uh, he's the Lord of hosts. All the heavenly creatures are called hosts. Uh, all the angelic and all these creatures, they are all called the Lord's host, and He is the Lord of all of these creatures. And uh, Daniel, the prophet, was given insight in regards to what took place. He saw a vision. Daniel in the Old Testament saw a vision, what was, what was due to come when Jesus Christ arrived in heaven. And he describes the vision to us. That's why we, we know about all of this, because the word opens up the spirit realm to us. And sometimes people say, well, we don't really know all that much. We know a great deal about the spirit realm, because the Bible speaks about it. All right. People say, oh, I, I, I really believe in demons. I saw a demon. I really believe in demons. Listen. We believe in demons because the Bible speaks about demons, not because we saw one or didn't see one. When the Bible speaks about it, we believe it. If the Bible doesn't speak about it, we don't, we, we don't, we don't go there. Yeah. All right? Yeah. I remember many years ago now, I was uh, called to minister at a funeral to kind of um, co-officiate with a, with a minister uh, of this traditional church where this event was held. And... Uh, <coughs> 
a young lady had passed away, and of course I knew that uh, she'd gone to heaven because she was born again. It was kind of a sad story, but in the middle of a celebration that she made it to heaven, she was very ill, and uh, in the end she passed away. But anyway, uh, the uh, minister there of this traditional church, just a lovely man, and I really enjoyed working together with him, but uh, in his introduction, uh, he kind of said, well, he says, we don't really know that much about heaven. Uh, and I thought, we know a lot about heaven. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, and he talked about as if all of that is like obscure and we haven't got a clue about it. And, and of course, when I came in to bring the message, I preached about heaven because I knew the young lady had gone there. It was kind of a bit odd. He says, we, didn't, we don't know much about heaven. And I come in and I preach about heaven. And I wasn't making anything up. I was just telling people what the word says so that people can understand that there's a whole realm uh, uh, in the spirit and there's a place called heaven. Uh, a physical place, uh, a, a literal place. The Bible says that heaven is in the sights of the north. It even points to where that place is. Uh, and and so, so there's plenty of uh, word there that, that kind of unveils what would otherwise be a mystery to uncover what's there. And whether we've seen it or not seen it, the Bible speaks about it. And that's why we know about it. And here Daniel... In Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, he says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. So there's obviously preparation being made here. And the Ancient of Days, here is reference to God the Father. Thrones were laid out. Like, you know, when you go, and, 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 and sometimes they might have some sort of a gathering in a public square or somewhere. And, you know, all you see when you drive past, there's just tarsil there, perhaps. Uh, but when, then they come in and they bring in chairs and they bring in a platform and they put up a, a lectern. There's obviously preparation being made. And, and in this instance here, Daniel watched through his prophetic insight uh, the preparation was made for the arrival of Jesus Christ in heaven. And it says thrones were put in place, thrones plural. Um, and the ancient of days was seated, and his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. This is a description of what God the Father looks like. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, people get a bit confused. The uh, uh, Bible says that God is, uh, is like, uh, you know, um, uh, God is a consuming fire. People think that God's a ball of fire. He's not a ball of fire. He's a person. He's got a head. He's, <laughs> he's got white hair um, and so forth. And, uh, and then he goes on. He says here, uh, his throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth. From before him, a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. So this was quite a gathering. We're talking multiple thousands of beings uh, being there gathered together. I guess for the most part, uh, angelic beings. Um, and we all gathered together, and it says here that they ministered before the Lord. They ministered to God in worship. There's constant worship going on, all right? Constant uh, worship uh, being lifted up. Um, and it says the court was seated and the books were opened. 
And then it speaks about a couple of verses there that we haven't got time to get into. Uh, it speaks about, uh, you know, some stuff that's going on in the book of Revelation in end times in terms of, uh, you know, little horn and big horn and, and all personalities that was going to be judged. But then in the very next verse here, down in verse 13, it says, And I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. So Daniel was like, wow, look at that. Here's a gathering being prepared for. Oh, look, God the Father just sat down on a throne. Oh, look, books have just been opened. You know, heaven keeps meticulous record of what goes on on the earth. And books were opened. And then one like the Son of Man, reference to Jesus Christ, he was brought before the Father. He didn't just walls up himself. He, he was brought before him. This is kind of ceremonial. Um, and, uh, you know, we've just uh, had, a, had a meeting with Neil and Tiao uh, uh, a couple of um, a month ago or something, and we talked about uh, that uh, they would like to have me up there at some point, and I will be invited onto, onto the Marai there to minister. You don't just waltz up. You know, you wait until you're invited because that is the right, that's protocol, and that's the right thing to do. And so this, they brought Jesus before the Father, uh, all very ceremonially. Um, and it says, uh, um, coming with the clouds of heaven. Of course, we know that in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that when Jesus had appeared to his disciples over a period of some 40 days in his last gathering with them, he again talked to them about, you know, not leaving Jerusalem until they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus was lifted up physically, literally, before their very eyes. It must have been a cloudy day. It wasn't a clear day. It was a cloudy day because a cloud received him out of their sight. How many of you know that it's important that we, we, we do precise reading, that we don't guess or kind of assume whatever the Bible says, that's what's happening. A cloud received him out of their sight. And then Jesus arrives in heaven and, and, and he's brought near to the Father. And... Uh, and um, it says they brought him near. Then to him, meaning to, to Jesus, to him was given dominion. Dominion is authority. He says, and to him was given glory. To him was given a kingdom that all peoples, plural, all nations, plural, and all languages, plural, should serve him. This is again one of those all-encompassing statements that basically everything that is alive uh, is to serve God or has been alive or will be alive should serve him. All right? That was a decree that God the Father made in this ceremony that took place in heaven, that after Jesus had been to earth, done what he came to do, and arrived back in heaven, he was given authority. He was given glory. Amen. Uh, he had all of that glory before, but he's now re-given it. Um, and, and, and he was given a kingdom. And didn't Jesus spend much time teaching about the kingdom? The Bible speaks of the kingdom of heaven, uh, speaks of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, speaks of the kingdom of light. He's the king of that kingdom, and he was given that kingdom right there. He hasn't kind of ceased it, as it were, uh, or usurped some authority. It was delegated to him. It was all done proper. Um, and uh, that all peoples, nations, and languages 
should serve him. Friends, uh, praise God for the fact that we are saved. Hallelujah, that we are saved. But we're not just saved to be saved, but we are saved to serve. There is a lack of understanding in our democratic world, and praise God for democracy, and you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. But along with the, with the blessing and the privileges of democracy that we're able to choose our own leaders, we lose the understanding that they had when they had kings and queens. Because the understanding, even in the commonwealth, uh, not even a hundred years ago, the saying of serving God, king, and country was common. And uh, um, Queen Victoria, who was always one who spoke about duty, um, to, to do the, the right thing and to serve God, serve king and serve country and everything, much of that is lost in our present Western world and understanding. That we have, we have been summoned by the king, not just to be saved, but to serve him. Because that's what the father decreed. Now we're not serving him out of duty as much as we serve him out of gratitude because he's delivered us from the power of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. So now we use our time. Now we use our talents. Now we use our treasure. Now we use everything we have to serve God. And the question is, how can we get involved and what can we do uh, in order to fulfill that charge that the Father had given that all peoples, all languages, and all nations should serve Jesus. Some, sometimes people say, oh, I'm not doing anything because nobody has asked me. Um, listen, the Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, you've you got to just find. It's, it, it is more your responsibility than anybody else's responsibility to find something to do and to get involved uh, and to serve so that we, we, together we can extend the kingdom of God in the earth and serve the king and, and build the church because we've said this before, but the church is the visible expression of the kingdom of God in the earth. Hallelujah. And when you look out over the average church in the average community, uh, there is a gathering of people of all walks of life, of all nations, of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Um, a gathering of people. Praise God. Hallelujah. Some of you are more excited than others. Praise God for that. <laughs> that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and it shall not pass away. You know, we look back over ancient history, some of it which I understand not well enough to have a good handle on it in terms of ancient history with the, you know, the rise of the kingdoms. You know, the Bible speaks of the Persian Medo Empire. It speaks of various kings. You know, the, the rise and then the fall, the rise and the fall. They started, they endured, and, you know, Hitler came, came along and he was going to build the third empire, the third Reich, so to speak, and that was, as far as he was concerned, was going to last however long, a thousand years, which is really on the nose because the Bible speaks about Jesus Christ setting up his earthly kingdom here for a thousand years. But his kingdom for us that serve him endures throughout eternity. And, uh, and uh, it says his kingdom shall not be destroyed. You know, the devil is going to have one last goal. 
um, in the second end times, not the end times that we're in now, but in the second end times after a thousand years, when he will go forth and, and be released out of that uh, pit that he'd been locked up for a thousand years and go forth and deceive the nations once again, that they would all come against uh, uh, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, an uprising against the kingship of Jesus Christ. You know, that's why we, we need to study the word because sometimes people like read something as, oh, here you go, end times, and they kind of, you know, shoot from the hip. You know, there is aspects of end times that speak about the first end times that we're in right now and the second end times, if we can use that expression, which is after the thousand years, and there's another battle going on. Amen. But Jesus' kingdom will endure throughout eternity. The Father gave it to him. And here I, uh, in Revelation chapter 11, and I put in your outline, I put that uh, reference there in brackets because this is not necessarily in a chronological uh, understanding, but more so in an understanding of what took place. Um, it says here, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven. And this is yet, yet future, but nevertheless, here's what, it, what it's telling us. They're just stating what's already done. It says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones, they fell on their faces. So when the Bible says the thrones were set up, throne for the Father, throne, a, th a throne for the Son, a throne for the Holy Spirit, and then thrones for these elders. The Bible says that the, the 12 patriarchs, the sons of Israel, they will be sitting on thrones. So the Bible speaks of thrones of various levels of authority attached to it. But Jesus sits on the highest throne. Hallelujah. Next to the Father. And you know, there's no competition amongst Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, so it says here that the kingdoms of our Lord, um, or of this world rather, have become the kingdoms of our Lord. And interesting, when Jesus went into the wilderness at the beginning of his public ministry to fast and pray for 40 days, and Satan came to him and tempted him, and we, are, we have got that passage recorded, is it, in, in Matthew chapter 4, where it speaks about the three specific temptations that are listed. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points, but those three were very specific temptations. Satan took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. There was kind of sort of a supernatural deal. Have a look around, Jesus. All these kingdoms I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus replied and he says, no. So I'm not going to worship you. He says, you will only, you may be called to only worship God and him only shall be served. We're not going to serve you, devil. I'm not going to bow down to you. That would be an easy way of getting the kingdoms. But then, then Jesus would have failed. It's the second Adam in the same way that the first Adam failed when the devil came to them and they submitted to the devil's lies and to his temptations. Jesus knew, he said, I'm going to get those kingdoms, but not the way, devil, that you want me to get those kingdoms. And now Jesus has arrived in heaven. He's given the kingdom. He's given authority. Amen. The very thing that Satan tempted him to get the easy way, he got it the hard way. He went through this whole process. And sometimes there's a lesson for us to learn that sometimes, you know, there's an easy way to get certain things, but it's not the God way. Yeah, right. and, and, and we ought to do things the God way because that's the lasting way. 
It could oh, swing into all directions right now at that point here, but sometimes, you know, p- people quick and easy, and, uh, you know, there's aspects to Christianity that are not quick and easy. The whole area of sowing and reaping and the whole area of, of humbling ourselves and, 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 you know, sometimes uh, in the whole area of getting to where we want to go to and sometimes people are quick to get a promotion here or there, but they're not prepared to, to, to do things the, the God way. God, God says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you Hallelujah. in due time. Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death. He took on the the, the form of of the lowest servant and died on the cross and went to hell and then he rose from the dead and he arrived in heaven and now it's all laid on for him. This is what took place in the realm of the spirit and over in Revelation, uh, this specific part is still future. This is uh, Revelation chapter 11. This is end times on into into some distance into that seven year period. But nevertheless, they made a statement that all the kingdoms of this world, they were the devils, but they've all become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And in Revelation chapter 14, and again, uh, in brackets, because this is not happening in the chronological ways we are speaking here, but nevertheless, uh, it points here in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, here's John, the revelator, looking into the future, what was going to happen. And he says, and I looked and beheld a white cloud, and one on the cloud and, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. Son of Man, capital S, capital M, reference to Jesus Christ, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. We haven't got time to talk about the sickle because the Bible speaks about reaping the earth at that point. But I want to point out that that golden crown that sits on Jesus' head, where did he get that from and when did he get it? He got it when he arrived in heaven. The servant, capital S, became the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. At that coronation where he was given all authority, when he was given glory, when he was given the kingdom, they put a crown on his head. It is a golden crown. And it is the crown of all crowns. You know, if we were to use a crude crude example of, you know, the Lord of the Rings, uh, one ring to rule them all. Well, this is the crown that rules them all, let me tell you. There are various crowns. Some of us will receive crowns when we get to heaven for the way that we have served God and for the way that we have stood for the kingdom uh, in this earth and for the way that we have been faithful uh, in in different areas and in our callings. We will receive the crown, but his crown is is the crown that rules all crowns. Amen. And amazingly, following this event in heaven, Jesus went back to the earth and he appeared to his disciples for a period of 40 days. And Acts chapter 1 verse 3 speaks about that. And in this instance here, uh, it is the last gathering with his disciples. On one occasion, he appeared to more than 500 disciples when they were all gathered together. He appeared to his 12 uh, on several occasions. He appeared to groups of them over a period of 40 days. And he spoke to them about the kingdom, uh, things pertaining to the kingdom. Because he'd just been in heaven. he just received the kingdom. 
And notice what it says here. And it says, having this understanding now, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says that Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, when was that? Just a little while ago. Jesus, I've just been to heaven. Amen. And amazingly, when he first appeared to his uh, to Mary Magdalene um, in, outside the tomb. Jesus had just risen from the dead. He had just left hell. And he goes by the tomb to pick up his body, so to speak. And he appears to Mary and, he, and she was going to hug him. Mary, don't touch me. I have not yet been to my father. There was kind of a sense where a sense of, if you touch me now, I'm, I'm, I'm about to go into the Holy of Holies in heaven. I, I'm about to present my blood. Amen. Though that that's not what he said, but we know that that's what he was about to do. And then, of course, whichever came first, don't ask me. I don't understand the specific sequence in a, chronicle, a chronological understanding. But Jesus went to heaven. He had a coronation. He was given authority. He was given glory. He was given a kingdom. He appears, comes back down, appears to his disciples, and says, all authority has been given to me. That's how it kind of all stacks together. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. We call this the Great Commission. Because there's other commissions, but we call this the Great Commission because it is the commission of all commissions. There are many commands, but this tops them all. He says, go out. Amen. He says, uh, call people to come and serve me. Call people to populate my kingdom. Yeah. And whoever responds, and Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that we who have already responded, we have been delivered from the power of darkness and we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We're already populating the kingdom. You know, evangelists sometimes, in terms of su summarizing what they do, he says, We are plundering hell and we are populating heaven. Because the Father decreed that all peoples, all nations, all languages should come and serve him. Yeah. That's right. Hallelujah. We are saved to serve. Amen. <laughs> we are saved to serve. And we could be like really, really investigative at that moment and say, somebody who, who doesn't serve, are they saved? And they could be, they just don't know that they've been saved to serve. But somebody that refuses to serve, I think we would have a right to question their salvation if people are not prepared to lift hardly a finger to serve Jesus and to help to extend the kingdom of God in the earth, and to help to build the church, and to, to advance the purposes of God in the earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. This is an ongoing process, teaching the people 
everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. So as soon as somebody else gets born again, they need to be taught to observe all things that Jesus has commanded us to do. That teaching process goes on and on and on. And when once we have been told, we help to teach others to kind of make sure that people understand uh, the values of the kingdom, people understand the, the, what the kingdom is all about, because many people operate out of what they know, out of, you know, like there's an interesting thing here, but people operate how they've operated in the world, but in the kingdom we have different values. In the kingdom, we've got, we've got different requirements. In the kingdom, we're not competitive. In the kingdom, we don't get offended. In the kingdom, we, 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 we work selflessly. People will do anything in the world to get ahead, but it's not selfless in many instances. It's selfish. They want to go somewhere, and they will set their sights, and they will absolutely go for it. But in the kingdom, we serve. Yeah. Hallelujah. Revelation, this is the last scripture here, chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, and again, this is a book in the last book in the Bible there. says, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, capital L, the Lamb, meaning Jesus Christ, each having a golden harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And you know, we again, time fails us, but... Uh, the Bible makes a very interesting statement here that, uh, that through the blood of Jesus being shed, the sacrificial lamb, he purchased people unto God. And those of us that have responded to that, to that ransom uh, that was paid and have come to Jesus, the Bible says that we have been called out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language. And uh, God's called us out from wherever we have been in the past. People are sometimes wrapped up in, their, in, you know, in, the, in the methods of the old kingdom. People are sometimes wrapped up in their culture. But God says, I called you out of your tribe. Hallelujah. I called you out of your nation. Amen. Nation is the Greek word ethnos. We get the, Greek, the, the English word ethnicity from we never deny our ethnicity, but in terms of God's called us out of our ethnicity and all the values and all the culture that applies here, and we embrace kingdom culture and kingdom values. Hallelujah. And so we now come and we serve God. And so with that, as the worship team get ready to kind of lead us in a, in a worship song, I just encourage you to just bow your heads for a moment and perhaps close your eyes and allow the Spirit of God to move on on your heart this morning and with this fresh understanding let me ask the question are you doing everything that you can to serve Jesus Do you know the Bible says that to whom much has been given of him much will be required 
And there are many, many people in the body of Christ across the board who are amazingly gifted, got amazing abilities, and actually got quite a bit of time on their hand, but are only serving God a little. But the Bible says much will be required from us because we have been saved to serve God.